James chapter 1, verse number 1, let's read this again. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And in verse number 1, we were introduced to the author of the book, whose identity we're not 100% certain of. Most believe it to be James, the brother of, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Whether it's James, son of Alphaeus, or James, the Lord's brother, it's the same James who was the pastor or at least a prominent leader in the church at Jerusalem throughout the book of Acts. But verse number one not only introduces us to the author of the book, it also introduces us to the audience of the book. James, there's the author, servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ, to the recipients are identified as the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Let's identify them before we move to the second verse. Come back with me to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. This is a passage I feel like we've read several times recently. We'll read it again in this context. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And there the Bible says, Christ speaking to his disciples immediately preceding his ascension back to the right hand of God. In Acts 1.8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit who came upon and dwelt in the apostles' In Acts chapter number 2, at the day of Pentecost, and the purpose for the sending of the Holy Spirit was so that Christ's followers could go and be witnesses of his resurrection and of his saving power and of the gospel, and that's what we see took place. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, they go out, they proclaim the gospel, 3,000 are saved on the day of Pentecost. But Christ makes it very clear in verse number 8, that his intention was for the gospel to start at Jerusalem, but not stay at Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And what we we recognize from verse 8 that is consistent uh, as we follow the history in the book of Acts is that it did begin at Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were men from all over, but they were gathered in Jerusalem. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So it was supposed to spread beyond Jerusalem, but very clearly the gospel started in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, we already mentioned we're in Pentecost. Guess where it's taking place? Jerusalem. Acts chapter 3, guess where these events take place? Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, where do the events take place? Jerusalem. Acts chapter 5, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 6, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 7, Jerusalem. Okay? We're, we're, we're in the same place for seven chapters of the book of Acts. We read Acts 1.8. Now flip that and turn to Acts 8.1. Acts chapter 8. And verse 1, this relates to the recipients of the book of James. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And Saul 
we know him as Paul, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Stephen, the first martyr, was just stoned in the latter portions of chapter 7. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which is at Jerusalem. Look at this. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. We'll, we'll, we'll relate that to James 1.1 1, 1 in a moment, but first of all, let's relate that to Acts 1.8. The gospel was to start at Jerusalem, but it wasn't to stay there. They were to scatter. They were to spread the message. They were to carry that gospel, uh, not just to Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. For seven chapters, they did it. And so in Acts 8, 1, God did something or allowed something that would scatter them to the places he told them to take the gospel. Okay? If they're not going to do it of their own free will and volition, then God is going to allow this persecution that comes on the church in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 to accomplish that very same purpose. Do you see the relationship between Acts 1-8 and Acts 8-1? Because they didn't do what Acts 1-8 says, God allowed Acts 8-1 to scatter them to those places. You see that? Okay, now James chapter 1 and verse number 1 again. James chapter 1 and verse number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. That is the very same phrase that we read in Acts chapter number 8. The church was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad. So who are the original recipients of the book of James? They are the early Christians, the believers from the church at Jerusalem, who were scattered abroad due to the persecution that arose immediately following the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter number 7. So these believers that get scattered, James, their pastor, their spiritual leaders, they're not in the church of Jerusalem anymore, but he's sending a pastoral letter. He is, he is sending them some instructions and some encouragement. He is writing to those former members of his church who have been scattered because the church is now being persecuted. So there, there's the audience of this epistle. And then verse number two is our topic for this morning. James chapter one and verse number two, where the Bible says, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. There are two types of temptation in James chapter 1. There is the temptation in the form of enticement later on in the chapter, verses 13 to 15. That's the devil tempting us to sin. There's another form of temptation here in verses 2 through 4. This is temptation in the form of trials and trouble and tribulation, the storms of life that test our faith. That's the temptation being referred to here. We're not going to focus on the temptation. What we want to focus on in verse 2 
is joy. We are to count it all joy when we fall in the diverse, all kinds, different manners of temptation. Some form of the word joy is mentioned 73 times in the New Testament. Some form of the word rejoice is found 77 times in the New Testament. If I can math, that's 150 mentions just in the New Testament about joy and rejoicing. And obviously we don't have time for a comprehensive study of all of those passages this morning. But there are four points that I want to focus on from James 1 and some selected other passages. Point number one, joy does not depend on circumstances. Joy does not depend on circumstances. If you're trying to spell that, it's C-I-R-C-U-M-S-T-A-N-C-E-S. Circumstances. Why do I say that? Verse number two, the instruction is, the, the instruction is, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, remember who these believers are. They're the ones who are scattered abroad in Acts 8.1 because of persecution. And James is writing to them. And the first thing he tells them is, you guys need to be sure that you are joyful. <laughs> They're being instructed about the, the, the trouble that they are facing and are going to face. And the first thing he tells them is, don't let go of your joy. In fact, go ahead and just rejoice in the tribulations, in the temptations that you're facing. That seems counterintuitive. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. But this is a biblical joy. It is not based on external factors. It is based solely upon internal factors. It's what you decide to focus on. It's what you decide to look at. It's what you decide to cling to. And if you are saved, you have a well we mentioned on Thursday evening that you can always go to and draw up some joy because we have a wherein we greatly rejoice. Let me show you some other things that are associated with joy in the New Testament that prove conclusively that joy does not depend on the circumstances of your life. Okay? Go ahead with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. We'll run through these quickly. And I just want you to note the association. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse Number four, the Bible says, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Second Corinthians is kind of an autobiographical book. Second uh, Corinthians, Paul is speaking from personal experience and all the trouble that he faced. But look what he said in the middle of it. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful. The stonings that Paul received couldn't steal his joy. The shipwreck Paul experienced didn't steal his joy. The rejection, the trouble, the care of all the churches, the burdens of the ministry, the, 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 the travel, the persecution, all that Paul faced, he said, I'm exceeding 
joyful. Look at chapter 8, verse 2, not speaking of himself, but of the churches of Macedonia. Look what he said, Acts, or, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Having a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. You wouldn't associate those two. Deep poverty and abundant joy, but these deeply impoverished Christians had abundant joy because joy is not based on what you have or don't have physically and materially. Joy is based on what you do or don't have inside of you that money can't buy. So deeply impoverished, but abundantly joyful. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Colossians 1 verse 11. The Bible says, Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Again, the association, patience. Why do you need patience? Because you're enduring something. Long suffering. Why do you need long suffering? Because you're suffering and it's taking a long time. But together with those terms, we find joy. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. What do we have? Here's what the New Testament associates with joy. Temptations, tribulation, deep poverty, patience, long-suffering, affliction. One more, Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 34, Hebrews, right before James, chapter 10, and verse 34. I believe uh, Brother Haynes is the one who pointed out that much of, much, of, much of Bible preaching is invalidating our excuses. Right? At the times that we do not have and express the joy that we ought to as saved, born-again believers, we use excuses like what's going on in our lives. We use excuses about the things that are happening or the things that have happened or the things we don't have. All of these people invalidate those excuses that we use. Because they had joy in their circumstances means we can have joy in ours. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. For he had compassion on me and my bonds. Look at this. And took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. The people who received this letter of the New Testament, it cost them financially. To follow Jesus Christ. When your entire culture is wrapped up in your religion and you break away from that religion, it changes everything about your life. Honestly, guys, it really doesn't cost a lot to follow Christ in the United States of America with, with religious liberty and freedom and an attitude that everybody's just kind of free to believe and do whatever they want to do. Understand, that's not the context that most of the world has lived in for all of history. Most places you go, the religion and the culture are one and the same. 
And if you give up the religion and you choose to follow Jesus, your family turns their back on you, sometimes acts like you don't exist. There are cultures where they then begin to seek to to cause you to cease to exist, right? But following Christ could mean losing your job. Following Christ in this context meant losing your livelihood. But you know what? It didn't cost them their joy. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. Can you imagine that? Whatever you might have in your bank account gone tomorrow, are you still going to be joyful? Whatever material possessions that you highly value, if you were to make a list, what I want to get out of my house if my house burns down, if those things were gone tomorrow, would you still have joy? These people did. You know why? Because that's what joy is. It doesn't depend on things. It doesn't depend on stuff. It doesn't depend on everything going exactly the way you want it to. If it did, nobody could have joy because nobody's life goes just the way they want. We live in a world under the curse of sin. You will never experience a utopia of any kind on the earth. Life is going to smack you in the face regularly. Okay? And in Philippians 4, 4, we're not going to read it. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We read it Thursday night, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. The only way that God could tell you to, to have joy and to rejoice at all times in every situation is if your joy does not depend on the situation you find yourself in. Joy does not depend on circumstances that is emphasized in James chapter 1, where they are instructed to count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. The second point, same verse. Joy is a choice. Doesn't depend on your circumstances. It's a choice that you have to make. Joy is a choice. Why do I say that? Because the verse says... Count it all joy. It's a matter of your accounting. It's a matter of your reckoning. It's, it's a matter of how you approach the situation. It's a matter of your thinking and your heart. How are you going to face whatever circumstances you might find yourself in? Whatever temptations might come your way. You can count it joy or you can allow yourself to be depressed. You can count it joy, or you can cling to it as a legitimate excuse for not having joy. Your choice. It's up to you, right? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Brother Haynes, uh, last youth rally preached, said the quickest way to have a good time is to decide that you're going to have a good time. And the quickest way to be miserable is to make up your mind that you're going to be miserable. You can have either in whatever situation, it's just which of the two that you choose. Abraham Lincoln's not my favorite president, but he is quoted as having said something that fits this passage. He said, most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And that's true. 
You're as happy as you want to be. You are as joyful as you choose to be. Fanny Crosby wrote this line at the age of eight. You know who Fanny Crosby is? The blind hymn writer. She was not born blind. She lost her sight due to medical malpractice as an infant or as a toddler. Um, But at the age of eight, she said this. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. It's pretty profound coming from somebody that's eight years old. But, but you know what she is illustrating? She chose to be joyful in spite of the fact that she didn't have something most everybody else does have and most everyone would, would, would say is somewhat essential to a happy life. But the things that we, are, we think are essential are not actually the things that are essential. These believers in James 1, again, they're experiencing temptation tribulation. We read a couple times in this book about the rich and the poor. And the reason we read about this is because most of them were poor. But they could, and they were instructed to count it all joy. Now, here's where we are this morning. We know each other somewhat. We know each other like in the, in the us that we bring to church. I don't know everything's going on in your life. I don't know everything's going on in your mind. I don't know everything's going on in your heart. I definitely don't know what the future holds for myself or for what anybody or, or for anybody else. But this is what I know based on the word of God. No matter what situation you find yourself in today or tomorrow or next week or next year, if you choose it, you can have joy going to have to make up your mind. What are you going to focus on? What are you going to look to as the source of that joy? Number one, joy does not depend on circumstances. Number two, joy is a choice. Number three, God wants you to be joyful. I believe I can substantiate this from the scripture. God wants you to have joy. His desire and his intention is for you to be joyful. Now, I did not say God wants you to be happy. Happiness does not equal joy. Happiness and joy are different. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy depends on what's inside. People say God wants you happy. And what they mean by that is I am justified in committing the sin that I want to commit that God told me not to commit because it'll make me happy if I do it and God wants me happy so it must not be wrong. God's desire for my happiness has to trump his commandment that I not do something or participate in something because God loves me. And what God loves me means is he wants me happy. And what that means is I can do whatever I want that makes me happy. Because that is not at all what we're talking about. But God does want you joyful. Okay? 
I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want to read some verses. John chapter 15, there are so many that we could turn to, but we, we pick these three. John, John 15, I'm going to show you from the Bible that God wants you to have joy. John 15, God, God don't want you to live a miserable life. God don't, you don't have, there, there's no reason to be unhappy. Christianity should not make you an unpleasant person, right? Following God's word, living by the Bible, does not result in a sad, gloomy disposition. It doesn't. What the Bible says, John 15, verse number 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy, Christ speaking, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Now, he, he's been talking to them for two chapters. He's going to talk to them for two more chapters. There are five chapters of instruction here in the book of John. And right in the middle of it, Jesus says, The reason I'm telling you all this is so you can have fullness of joy. Look at chapter 16, verse number 24. John 16, verse number 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Does, does that look to you like Christ wanted them to have fullness of joy? I mean, he was making provision for that because it is evidently his desire. Look at 1 John, the epistle of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 4. This statement is made concerning the purpose of the epistle of 1 John, but it can have broader application. We can apply this to all of Scripture. 1 John 1, 4, And these things write we unto you that, it's a purpose statement, that's a reason statement, that your joy may be full. Why did God give the epistle of 1 John? Why did God give 66 books of the Holy Bible to show you how your life can be filled with joy because that's his intention, that's his desire, that's what he wants for you. But here's point number four. God knows more about joy than you do. God knows more about joy than you do. What did Jesus say in John? My joy I'm going to give you. Here's the thing. Going back to the God wants me to be happy kind of thinking that leads to a justification for doing what I want to do because if I do what I want to do, then I'll be happy. And, and of course God loves me, so he wants me to be happy, so I get to do what I want to do. That is absolutely not how it works. Here's the problem. What we think will make us happy is only because we are self-deceived. The things that we think will make us happy, God sees the end from the beginning and he knows better than we do what the end of those things is. How many people spend their lives chasing what they think will make them happy only to find misery in the pursuit. 
You know why people go out and party and go out and drink? Why people do drugs? Why people get involved in immorality? Why people live the way they live? They think it will make them happy. Why people drown themselves in debt? Why people fill up their house and fill up their storage unit and buy everything they can't afford? They think the stuff will make them happy. You know what? They all find out. It doesn't work. Do you know what God knows? doesn't work and the instructions that he gave us in his word guess what they work if you'll live the way God said to live he knows what the end result is going to be you'll have true joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in your heart God knows that we just have to believe him you need your windshield wipers Michael I'm sorry okay that's why the Bible says walk by faith. You've got to believe that he knows better than we do. These things have I written unto you that your joy might be full. God's word when followed will result in joy. Do we believe that enough to follow the path that he set before us? God does want us to be joyful. It's just that the way to have joy is doing what God said, not what we want. Right? Let me just show you a few more verses. Psalm 16. These go along with the last two points on some level. Psalm 16. From James 1. Joy does not depend on circumstances. Joy is a choice. God wants you joyful, but he knows more about it than you do. You just got to trust him. Obey him. Psalm 16, verse number 11. Let me show you that God wants you to have joy. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, one day, God willing, you will hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's not the end of the statement. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. When we enter God's presence, his physical presence, that is a place of fullness and joy. But come on, guys, we can live in his presence here on the earth and to the same result. If I am in God's presence, if God is in my presence, that is a place of joy. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Let me show you the level of joy God wants you to have. 1 Peter 1 and verse number 8. First Peter 1 Peter 1.8, the Bible says, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable. That, it's a joy you can't even really describe. That's a joy that, that's so great, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to properly express it. 
It's a joy really without any limitations. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Have you ever met somebody like that? Ever met somebody that, that, that life is crumbling around them, but they're walking around with a smile on their face? Have you ever met somebody that had physical pain and physical problems and doctor's reports, and yet, and yet, you get around them and they're more happy than you are? Ever been around somebody that's that's that, that that's just facing some of some of life's greatest difficulties, and yet all they want to talk about is how great it is to be saved and to know the Lord. You know who I'm thinking about right now? I'm thinking about Dean Runyon. He's had more surgeries than you can count, and he looks at every surgery as another opportunity to go to the hospital and tell people about Jesus. His joy is just infectious. Now I don't. I don't want to have the same troubles that he's had, but I want to have the same joy, an unspeakable joy. That's, that's what God offers. Look at Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, verse number 17. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second item on the list? Joy. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. So God wants you to be joyful, so here's what he did. He made provision for you to have joy. He gave you the Scripture. He gave you the Holy Spirit. And then one more thing, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. He gave you spiritual leaders, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. It's an interesting place to end this morning. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. You know God's proof that he wants you to be joyful? He gave you me. Seriously. Look, okay, Brother James, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. Not for that we, this is Paul, the apostle, Spiritual leader, not that for not for that we have dominion over of your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. See? God wants you to be joyful, and the proof is He gave you somebody to help you to be joyful. That's my job. I'm trying to help you this morning. To have some joy. How? By pointing you to the scripture. By pointing you to the spirit. By pointing you to the true source of true joy. It's not your circumstances. It's not having everything you want. It's not everything going your way. It's not a life that's problem free, that doesn't exist. It's having your focus and your heart in the right place. On Jesus Christ, the salvation that he's given you. And you can rejoice in the Lord all way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How can you do that? You just make up your mind. It's a choice you've got to make. Lord, help us. Father, thank you for your word this morning and God, the instruction that it gives us. God, I pray that we would know that joy unspeakable. Thank you for making that available. Thank you for demonstrating your love in all these amazing ways. Uh, bless us now as we go into the preaching hour. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.